so I come home the other day. There's a box sitting at the front door. And I like when boxes are sitting on the front step there because it might be for me. Maybe somebody sent me something. Maybe I ordered something and I forgot about it. But as I looked closely at the box, what was most interesting was the tape. It was well taped. All the corners were taped. It was taped all around. And there was writing on the tape. And the writing was strange. I had never seen writing like this before. It said, this box sealed with pilfer-proof tape. Now, we know what pilfer means. It comes from the, the French language, middle of the 16th century. It means to take something often in little bits. A bit here, I'll take this. I'll take a little bit here to pilfer. This box is sealed with pilfer-proof tape. I looked at the box. I looked over here. I thought about this. The Bible says, thou shalt not steal. Uh, but I decided I would steal the box because it wasn't for me. It was for my wife. I thought, I'll steal it. I'll see if the tape is really pilfer proof. <laughs> so I picked up the box. I walked away with it. The tape didn't do a thing. The tape didn't cry out. There was no alarm that went off. I stole the box from my wife. Later on, I found out it was shoes. I sent it back. <laughs> the tape wasn't send back proof. It wasn't pilfer proof. It was just tape. It reminds me of how oftentimes in our lives, we, we try to tape things up. We, we think maybe it makes us stronger or maybe it makes us bigger than life. And, and, and really, it doesn't do much of anything. We're just sort of taping up our lives when we really need to be doing something more about our lives, something more with our lives. A long time ago, I saw a diagram when I was in college. I, I like this diagram and I've kept it in my mind for a long, long time. Imagine a large square, a large square. Hey, draw a line down, draw a line across. Now you have four quadrants. The first quadrant up here is what? It is the open self. It is the person that we let people see. This is who I am. This is what I want you to know about me. This is what I'll say to you. This is my open self. Go to the next quadrant up here. It's the closed self. This is what I won't tell you about me. This is what I won't reveal. These are the things that I keep private. These are the things that I, I just want to put away. I would rather you see the open self. It's a, maybe it's a, a nicer self. And then, if you come down to the lower left quadrant right here, it says, others see, I don't see. Ah, oh, that's the problem right there. And that's where if we've taped ourselves up too much, or if we've tried to, to fix our lives with some kind of a, a cheap fix or a temporary fix, at some point or another, somebody's going to go, Hey, what's the tape all about? There's, a, there's another quadrant over there that you might be wondering about. And that's the stuff that only God knows about you and the stuff that, that God wants to walk in with you and the stuff that God wants to help you with. And, and you have to give that part of your life to him. But this lower left quadrant right here, this is the one where... Somebody might need to save your 
sanity. The real meaning of life is not a journey question or an arrival question. It's a relationship question. Your journey and your destination are both important, but neither is possible without an answer to this prior question. Who are you taking with you on the journey toward your destination? Who saves your sanity? Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. A little footnote, might not mean much, but it's kind of interesting. In Hebrew, there's really no word for father-in-law, there's really no word for for son-in-law or brother-in-law. There's just basically a word that means we're family. We are, we're related to each other. And it gives you a little, little peek into the mind of the, the ancient culture of the Hebrews that it was very important that they were connected to each other. It was very important that they were family, that they knew we are family. We have to survive together. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. So basically he named his son E.T. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Eliezer is actually God saves. And they were always going back and forth. Daddy named you E.T. Daddy named you E.T. Daddy named me God saves. I'll knock you. Boom. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him. I your father-in-law Jethro, or I am your family, and I'm coming to you with your wife and her two sons. And these, this is like a, a little family reunion there. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and, and kissed him. Obviously, they were a little bit Italian, and kissed him. Let's throw back to last week, if you remember. Who, who remembers? Raise your hand. Thank you very much. That was a test. They greeted each other. And then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. And that was probably a real long talk that went for quite a while. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said... Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. And so they were reverent and they were celebratory at the same time. The story turns now. The next day, 
Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? What's going on here, Moses? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? There was somebody there with a camera and after the, the verdict, they would go out in the hallway and the camera guy would be there and they'd say, well, I think uh, I lost today because you know I really did take the money from Jeremiah. Okay, back. So I have all these, all these shows, all these, these Judge Judy shows and everything because it started way back here. Why do you alone sit as judge? All these people stand around you from morning till evening. Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. People are trying to figure out their lives. People have questions. People have, have problems and they just keep coming. They just keep coming and they just keep coming to me. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. That's interesting. Moses knows that the only way to really get to the bottom of things is to look at what God has said, to look at what God has required, to look at what God has, has stated clearly in terms of the way we must live. He is grounding everyone in what we call truth today, what we call biblical truth and biblical principles. And then Jethro says this, it's classic. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. So Moses is trying to say, look, I'm doing my job. I'm trying to teach people about God. And Jethro says, no, this isn't good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. They're going to wear themselves out standing in line all day in the hot sun. And they're going to wear you out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Everybody will be able to stay sane. You will be saved. Your sanity will be saved, Moses. You are supposed to be the leader. You're supposed to, to teach people how to live, how to bring faith and life together. But you don't have to do everything. You need to share that load. Moses listened to his father-in-law. He didn't have to, but he did. And did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people. Officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. 
They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses. Moses ended up to be like the Supreme Court. But the simple ones, they decided themselves. You stole the goat. You got to give the goat back. Get out of here. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way. And Jethro returned to his own country. And it's not here, but you could put a parenthesis. After saving his son-in-law's sanity. Imagine a box. Big box. Big square. Draw a line down. Draw a line sideways. Vertically, horizontally. Look at the bottom left quadrant. Right there. It's what others see. And you don't see. And that's what will save your sanity if you can see that. If you can stop taping yourself up and really see that. Einstein said, problems cannot be solved at the same level of awareness that created them. Problems cannot be solved at the same level of awareness that created them. Loose translation. You got to stop you got to start peeling off some of that tape and do something different. There are 12 reasons we lose our sanity. And I just, I sat down and I thought, how do I lose my sanity? How do the, the people I know lose their sanity? And, and these, these are the 12 things that I came up with. Number one, we try to do too much. We try to do too much. Our expectations for what we can accomplish or what we should accomplish or what we might be able to accomplish are, are off the charts. And so the first piece of tape you got to peel off is, you know, you just try to do too much and, and then nobody benefits in the end. You don't benefit. You're like Moses trying to see everybody. You don't benefit. Nobody else benefits. You have to lower those expectations of what you really can do. You have to stop and, and look at that part of your life that others see and and you don't see. Take some of that pressure off. A lot of that pressure you put on yourself. Number two, we don't have boundaries in relationships. We try to live everybody's life for them, try to make everybody's decisions for them. We try to to parent adult children too much. We, We butt in and say things when we don't have to butt in and say things. You know, sometimes it's better to just let things work out for themselves. If somebody else has a problem, sometimes it's appropriate for you to, to be helping. Sometimes it's appropriate for you to just pull back and let them figure some of that out for themselves. And then maybe when they, when they come to you, then you can offer some advice or you can offer some help. But sometimes we're so all in and around and through everybody's stuff and, and relational stuff that, that we render ourselves and the relationships very ineffective. The relationships can become anemic when we are too overly involved in trying to fix everything and, and do everything and, and work behind the scenes and, and talk to somebody else and say, hey, if you do this, I think this will work in this other person's life. Let's make a plan to fix this person over here. We don't have boundaries in relationships. We don't ask the God's will questions. 
We try to, to do everything on our own strength and we lose our sanity when it'd be a lot easier to say, I wonder if God has, has ordained for this to happen this way. I wonder if there's something here that, that God's trying to teach me. I wonder if I just said, God, let your will be done in and through this situation. I wonder if I would see something that I'm not seeing right now. I wonder if I could peel off some of this my will tape and see what his will is for me. We don't, we don't plan well. And so we lose our sanity because we don't plan the details. Everything that we do requires more planning than, than we could ever imagine. There's all kinds of details, 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 details. There's financial details. And sometimes we don't plan well enough for financial details and then we get hit and we, we start to lose our sanity and we didn't plan well. There are, there are uh, organizational details and when we don't take care of those, Murphy shows up and bam, he slams us to the ground and we lose our sanity. Every time Murphy shows up, we go, how did that happen? Murphy's going to show up anyway. Murphy's going to show up and look for any little crack to get into and to split things apart. So to defeat Murphy, you've got to be on top of details all the time. Sort of in tandem with that, we don't have a plan B, C, or Z, which means we've got some deep pockets in terms of, of plans. Uh, if, if plan A doesn't work, if your first plan out of the chute doesn't work and you don't have a plan B, then you start to lose your sanity. And if you don't have a plan C because plan B might start to deteriorate, you're going to lose your sanity even more. And plan Z might be way outside of your comfort zone. But you have to you have to line these things up. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't happen? What if this doesn't show up? What if this, what if this plan of, of marketing doesn't work? Am I going to lose my sanity or am I going to have something on the flip side? Planning, 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 having plans upon plans upon, upon plans. We lose our sanity when we try to do things we're not gifted for. You try to do something you're not gifted for, you're going to lose your sanity. If Moses was trying to do something he wasn't gifted for. He was supposed to be the lead guy. He was supposed to be the teacher of biblical principles across the board. And then if something was, was big and had to be decided by the person who had the, the most depth of understanding of God, then he would be called in. Not because he was a good judge, but because he was a good leader, because he was a good teacher. He wasn't supposed to be a judge. He wasn't supposed to be working out. You took my go and, and she wouldn't you know, cook dinner. She burned my dinner and, and he doesn't tell me he, he loves me anymore. He wasn't equipped to be a therapist and he wasn't equipped to do those minor details of life. And so he was, he was going to lose his mind. When we try to do things we're not gifted for, it doesn't work. So it's so important, therefore, to know what you're gifted for and to live in the strength of that gift that God gave you, the strength that God put inside of you to do this thing, to live this way. And everybody's gifted for something. We lose our sanity when we don't grow the team. Obviously, Moses had to grow the team. 
You have to have people who can handle thousands and people who can handle fifties and people who can handle tens. And, and so you, got, you have to grow the team. Um, if you don't have somebody who knows what you're doing, if you don't have some utility people in your life who can kind of move this way and move that way, you're going to lose your sanity. You've got to grow the team. You've got to let other people play in the game of your life. We lose our sanity when we don't think out of the box. And you hear that a lot, but most people just don't want to think out of the box. Most people don't want to take another view. The, the view that they have is comfortable. The view that they have seems to be cozy. It worked before. Maybe it's going to work again, but there's sometimes in some places when you got to think out of the box. I comment often about the church. One of the big reasons for the church to decline the way it's done in Europe was they just wouldn't think out of the box. It's this is the way it is, and it's going to be this way, and you have to adjust to this way. And so people adjusted. They stopped going to church. We don't invest in the right tools for the right tasks. Um, you know, I've, I've learned the hard way that if you don't have the right tool to accomplish this purpose, then you're probably not going to get there. Are you going to work so hard and you're going to lose your sanity over it? Sometimes you just have to, to bite the bullet and invest something to get the right tools for what it is you're trying to do. Whether that's something you're trying to do educationally, whether that's something you're trying to do mechanically. The other day I came home with a drill. Now those of you who know me well know I'm dangerous with a drill. Those of you who know me well know that on the Air Force mechanical aptitude scale, I got a zero. So I am like no good with any tool. You put any tool in my hand, the tool runs. The tool screams for mercy. So I come home with a drill because I had a credit at this hardware store and, and I was sort of impulsive. And I said, oh, the drill is about the credit. I'll get the drill. Because here's the secret that nobody knows. I really love drills. I love the sound. I love the feel. I love to pull the trigger and hear, I just, I just love that. Sometimes I get in my room and I close the door. I just, you know. And so Gail says, why did you get a drill? Because she knows. I said, well, I had a credit at the store. The truth is, I think we should have a drill on every floor in our home. I think it should be a drill because somebody's always saying, do we have a drill? And I, I hate to go to the garage and try to find it. And it's somewhere back in a corner. So if I, my goal in life is to have a drill in every closet in my house. If I have a drill in, any, in every closet, then anytime you have to put a hook on, the drill is there. You have the right tools for the right task. It makes life a lot easier. We lose our sanity because we don't pray worship or put God's word in our heart enough. Think of the times when you were just trying to, to figure out what do I do now? And, and how's this going to work? And there's what Moses was teaching the people were the biblical principles to make life work. Just about every single thing, every single thing to make life work is right here. Now the application of it is another matter, trying to figure out when do I apply this to the right situation. And that takes wisdom. We're gonna talk about wisdom next week, but to, to put God's word in your heart so you've got some verses that you've memorized. You've got some verses that you just, they're your go-to verses. They're right there in your back pocket all the time. Or to pray, pray longer than you thought you would have to pray about something.
to let yourself during a time of worship, to let yourself go and lose track of the room and lose track of the seats and lose track of even the people up here and just close your eyes and go, God, I'm losing my sanity over this situation. In this time of worship, I give this to you. We lose our sanity because we trust the wrong people. We trust the wrong people. Sometimes we trust the wrong people with our lives. We get married to the wrong person. And it's just, it wasn't God's will and it wasn't God's timing. Or we trust the wrong person in a business deal. And uh, we just didn't do our homework to know that, that this person did this before to another person. And now they're doing it to me. Um, when we trust the wrong people, we lose our sanity and sometimes a lot more. And then when we allow distractions to engage our minds, this is often called the tyranny of the urgent. You've probably heard that before, the, the tyranny of the urgent. We lose our sanity because we're trying to get this thing done and, and the phone is ringing and somebody's coming by the house and, 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 and you have to run out and get something that you forgot to get. And, and so you're reacting to everything. The tyranny of the urgent drives us crazy and we never get done what we decided to do. We have a, a, a corporate culture concept around here that we got from Willow Creek a long time ago. It's called put a put a burst on it. Put a burst on it means take two hours. You're trying to get something done. Take two hours and lock yourself away from all of the distractions and get it done. And you will be surprised. You'll be surprised at what you can accomplish if you put a burst on this one thing that you're trying to do that you've not been able to do because of all the distractions. You lock everything out and you put a focus on it and a burst for two hours, most things will get done. And if it's something really big, you might need five or six of those bursts, but you will get it done. You will never get it done. You will go crazy if you live your life according to the tyranny of the urgent, the next thing that's, that's vying for your attention. There's always something vying for your attention. In his book, this, this whole concept of a, of a Jethro, his book 11, Leonard Sweet calls his chapter three, who's your Jethro? You need a butt kicker. This is how he describes Jethro. First of all, let me say Nathan, that we did a couple weeks ago, calls you out. A Jonathan guards your heart. A Jethro blesses you forward. You need a Jethro, Sweet says, someone who kicks you in your posterior and gets you off the seat of your pants and into the future. Or to put it more civilly, a Jethro is someone who asks you, what's your favorite future and who blesses you forward? You need a Jethro, a conscientious kick in the pants objector who confronts you, who unglues you from the boob tube or YouTube and makes you face up to your capacity to wallow in mud baths of your own making. You need a Jethro, a nagger who kicks open the doors and windows of your house, makes you rise to the midnight hour and spotlights your hidden resources. You need a Jethro, a squeaky wheel that kicks you attentive and keeps you moving. If you're on a mission, you must keep moving. 
You need a Jethro. Someone who puts the boot to the backside and tells you to live life, not just with your brain, but with your backbone. You need a Jethro, a commanding voice that kicks it up a notch and asks, how are you? To which your soul responds by asking itself, how should I be? Jethro's bless you to go to what God is calling you to do so that you can receive peace in your life. Everyone needs someone, often older, who is wild and crazy about them, who believes in them and cares enough about them to wake and shake them up to dream big and live large. The older you get, the more you need a Jethro. A Jethro is a blesser, not a flatterer. There is a vast difference between blessing and making you feel good, between consecrating and ingratiating. Jethro is a blesser, not a flatterer. Don't expect to to always feel good. There's a vast difference between blessing and feeling good, between consecrating and ingratiating. So how do you save yourself from yourself? Number one, become a zero gravity thinker. In other words, allow yourself to just have some new thoughts. Allow yourself to to just be free to think. Sometimes we're just, we're, we're... We're losing our sanity because we're just not allowing ourselves to think around the edges of our lives. We're we're not, you know, we're just layering on the the pilfer-proof tape. So hoping nobody steals our lives and we don't have much of a life for somebody to steal. Number two, look outside your family, industry, or business for what's working that you can learn from and integrate. There was a great story in a book that, that I was reading about, uh, about a hospital that was trying to figure out how it could save money, how it could, could be a better hospital, a better healing environment. And they went to Japan and looked at the way they made cars. That is way outside of their industry. We're trying to help people, heal people. We're trying to be therapeutic in people's lives and take care of them after they have surgery. So we go to, to look at car manufacturing, way outside the box. They learned so much that they saved millions and millions and millions of dollars. Sometimes you've got to look to another place. Sometimes you have to read something that you never thought about reading before. There are times that I'll pick up a magazine that I would never read for church purposes, but I just want to see what's somebody else thinking. There are times that I pick up a book because I, I particularly need that book, but I want to see what are you thinking and how are you thinking? And is there any cross-fertilization so that I can be more sane in what I'm trying to do? Number three is care more than you think you should. It's pretty simple, but it's so true. Often the level of care you're committed to can become a barrier of growth. Well, I, I really care and, and I've established in my life that I'm gonna care this much. And, and after that, I'm not caring anymore. Care more than you think you should. Take care and concern and compassion and empathy and raise it up a bunch of notches. And you might just see that your sanity will start to return. Then finally, as I mentioned earlier, pray more than you think you need to. Pray so much more than you think you need to because there's a God who wants you to be in peace. 
There's a passage in scripture that says, seek peace and pursue it. In order to seek peace and pursue it, it's good to often be asking the one who authored peace in our hearts through his son. Anna Quinlan is one of my Jethro's, and she puts it this way. She talks about life, and she says, the prizes arrive, but soon they are dusty. And then what do you have? You better have you, the real you, the authentic examined self, not some patchwork collection of affectations and expectations, some treadmill set to the prevailing speed of universal acceptability. People will tell you what you ought to study and how you ought to feel. They will tell you what to read and how to live. They will urge you to take jobs they themselves loathe and to follow safe paths they themselves find tedious. Don't listen. This is tough stuff. It's so much easier to follow the template, to walk the straight and narrow set out by culture, the family, the friends, the focus groups. You'll have to bend your, all your will. You'll have to bend all your will not to march to the music that all of those great days pipe on their flutes. This will always be your struggle. Samuel Butler once said, life is like playing a violin solo in public and learning the instrument as one goes on. And learning the instrument as one goes on. That sounds terrifying, doesn't it? But that way lies music. Look in the mirror. Who is that man? Who is that woman? She is the work of your life. Do not dare to diss them by dressing them up in someone else's spiritual clothing. Pick up your violin, lift your bow, and play. Play your heart out. What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. And Moses lifted his bow and played his heart out. He began to learn to live the music of peace. God blessed him through Jethro. And the songs made God laugh and cry. Because the music was from the soul and beautiful. Who saves your sanity? Imagine a box and have somebody tell you what's in the lower left-hand quadrant. Peel off the tape. It's not really doing much for you anyway. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for allowing us to see in the biblical story of Moses and Jethro what it means to have someone who blesses us into the future. Father, provide that kind of a person in our lives, that person who saves us from ourselves, that person who saves our sanity. Father, right now we're all in some area of our life struggling with, with some issue, with some relationship, with something that we can't seem to, to get our hands around. And so we, we tape ourselves up and we say, maybe it'll work like this. So, Father, help us to peel away the tape and peel it away even when we, we resist. Allow us to see what you see. Allow a Jethro into our lives to help us save our sanity. For we ask all this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Have a great day. God bless you.